0: Chapter Twenty Two of One Thing Needful. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. One Thing Needful by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Two. Here lodge as in a sanctuary. Stella obeyed her lover and gathered together her manuscripts and those few cherished books which were nearly all the possessions she had brought away from lashmar castle she packed the little bag which had made her arms ache so terribly in the long tramp from lashmar to brum and awaited the letter and the carriage that were to be sent at his lordship's bidding would her ladyship condescend to write to her she wondered were it only so much as one line to desire her return, that proud self-contained mistress who had ever treated her as a slave, a being of inferior race with whom she could have no sympathy, who had accepted all her ministrations, her patient watchings, the tender touches of light hands bathing the aching brow, who had let this girl sit beside her bed night after night and had never by word or token given love or gratitude in return would she stoop so low as to request the runaway slave to go back to her servitude would she endure the thought that this poor Eilat was to be her son's wife stella told herself that lady lashmar would not brook such an alliance that she would not suffer her presence under these altered circumstances and that no letter and no carriage would come from the castle in quest of her however urgently lashmar might entreat his mother in her behalf god help me she said to herself on her knees beside the pallet bed in the little room on the half-flight am i to sow dissension between mother and son part them perhaps for ever they two who have been all the world to each other ought i not sooner to give him up my newly beloved but i love him so dearly so dearly she prayed fervently with tears prayed that she might be guided and inspired to do what was wisest and best for him her newly beloved new as a lover but not newly beloved was he not the hero of all her childish fancies the embodiment of every heroic form that national poetry had revealed to her odin achilles each mythic name had clothed itself in his shape and in the stories of her own weaving those fictions with which she had comforted herself in the loneliness of her own prosaic life did not the hero always speak with his voice and wear his form cruel hard and proud had her heroes ever been long-suffering submissive griselda like her heroines loving in silence unrequited unloved her own thoughts and feelings had colored all those early efforts at romance weaving unconsciously she had spun the thread of each story from her own heart and now she sat in the little room and waited to see what new thing fate would do for her fate which had lifted her into elysium since the stroke of noon which might condemn her to despair before the stroke of midnight she sat and waited and towards six o'clock began to listen for the sound of carriage wheels in the street below it was dark but she had not lighted her candle six o'clock and no carriage she heard the hour struck by one church and two factory clocks a quarter past half past and still no sound of wheels no it was quite evident her ladyship had refused to write were it so much as a single line lashmar was at a loss how to act his mother having refused to receive her runaway servant hark carriage wheels decidedly carriage wheels and the rhythmical trot of a pair of horses Stella ran into the front room and looked out. The blaze of carriage lamps seemed to illuminate all the street. It flashed in upon her as she stood at the window. The carriage was her ladyship's own chariot. The horses were her own particular seventeen-handers, grand upstanding bays which in that shabby little street looked almost as large as a pair of elephants. Had this state vehicle been sent in mockery? Stella wondered. Scared at the spectacle, was it a piece of practical irony, on the part of Lady Lashmar? A footman opened the door and the dowager herself alighted, moving slowly and feebly, leaning on the tall footman's arm a little as she descended to earth, but tall, stately and regal, of aspect in her long black velvet mantle bordered with darkest sable. Stella went downstairs to receive this most unexpected visitor, went white and trembling to greet her while the chapman family who had flown to the door expecting a fire engine and one small girl with a large jug who had come for three pennyworth of golden syrup stood at gaze aghast at this aristocratic vision stella i have come to fetch you said her ladyship in the easiest manner you were very foolish and very impetuous in running away because of a few uncivil words from an impulsive young man put on your bonnet while i thank these kind people for having taken care of you the chapmans entreated her ladyship not to overpower them they had done but that which they would do willingly for any respectable young female in distress how much the more for the daughter of jonathan boldwood who had spoken such noble words for the cause of the poor these honest people were altogether overcome by the apparition of the dowager she appeared to them much more awe-inspiring more august inner splendour than that noble-looking gentleman her son there had been in him a free and easy air which had taken off the edge of his grandeur but this tall pale elderly lady with the aquiline nose and white hair and flowing velvet mantle heavily bordered with fur seemed to them a being apart, the very embodiment of aristocracy stella did not detain her ladyship long amidst the odours of rank strong butter american cheese and onions she reappeared in two or three minutes carrying her bag of books let john take that my dear and the powdered youth who had been hovering on the threshold sprang forward to relieve stella of her burden she kissed mrs chapman and her daughter shook hands with the general dealer and followed her ladyship to the carriage what time the small customer jug in hand still stood at gaze and waited patiently for her golden syrup deeply interested in the spectacle never before in that street had those young eyes beheld a pair of high steppers powdered footmen and flashing carriage lamps another minute and the horses were trotting along the narrow street and stella was folded in lady lashmar's arms my child i have had to bear the disappointment of all my long meditated hopes but i find that god has been good to me even in frustrating my plans and i have found the daughter best calculated to make my declining years happy Oh, Stella, I've tried not to love you, but first you made yourself necessary to me, and then in my desolation and loneliness I discovered that you had made yourself very dear to me. Lady Lashmore, can you really accept me as your son's wife? Yes, Stella, I've thought out the question deliberately, and I can take you to my heart and rejoice in my new daughter. I've tried very hard to love Clarice, and I have never quite succeeded. There's always been an arrière pensée a suspicion of her heartlessness and shallowness i have loved you in spite of myself almost as victorian loved you my heart and my intellect have both been conquered stella i've been cold and repellent i've been cruel even can you forgive me can you be to me as a daughter oh lady lashmar i only wanted to be allowed to love you Faltered the girl her cheek against the dowager's shoulder her waist encircled by the dowager's arm the permission is freely given child love me your hardest and love me with all your might i may not be spared many years to enjoy your love to see you and victorian happy together to live in a new atmosphere of love it will be the indian summer of my life mrs mulciper was in the hall when the dowager and stella alighted from the carriage domestic convulsions were her natural element she came on board the family ship at such times like a pilot and thought no bark could get safely to harbor without her assistance she took stella in her arms and cooed over her with a sound of a elderly wood-pigeon my sweet girl did i not tell you it would be so she murmured oh mrs mulcibert you told me something quite different did i dear about mr nestorius ah to be sure i did but i was right you see i knew you were destined to make a great marriage and now run and dress for dinner "'I've dined with my friends in Brum,' answered Stella. "'I shall have some tea in my own room. Thanks.' Mr. Nestorius had heard from Lashmar how the fugitive had been found among the dead, and how in that place of death the bond of union had been sealed between the living. He and Lashmar had talked gravely together for a little while, and then Nestorius had bid him a kind and quiet farewell, and had driven to the railway station on his way to London will you not stay would you not like to see her pleaded lashmore no my dear friend the wound is too new i love her too well to be able quite honestly and frankly to rejoice in her happiness yet awhile years hence when you are a family man i may once more be your guest and hers Old dr time has an ointment for all wounds stella did not appear at the eight o'clock dinner as officious mrs mulselbury would have had her appear accepting at once all the importance of her position as lashmar's promised bride she had some tea in barker's sitting-room and was wept over by the warm-hearted barker and slipped back into her old life as naturally as if she had only left the castle for a few days holiday will you come down to the drawing-room with me and be made known to my son's friends asked her ladyship not for the world dear lady lashmar she pleaded let me be just what i have been your reader and amanuensis only love me a little if you can it is so sweet to be loved her eyes filled with tears as she spoke and for the second time victorian's mother took her to her bosom and kissed her i cannot help loving you she said yes it is sweet to be loved you have been patient and faithful to me without reward poor child henceforward give me love for love there shall be no debt unpaid between us lady lashmar dined in her own room pleading fatigue as a reason for not joining her guests and the downstairs party freed from the dazzling splendour of those two stars lady carmenau and mr nestorius and inspired by victorian's high spirits gave themselves up to an almost rollicking joviality which scandalised the chief butler and his subordinates it was the merriest dinner party there had been at the castle since the assembling of the shooters lady sophia and captain vava sour kept up a cross-fire of anecdote and epigram mrs mulsibur cooed and murmured in her host's ear telling him how she had admired stella from the first moment of beholding her how she had tried to win and as she hoped had succeeded in winning the sweet girl's friendship now she had seen from the first that he and stella must inevitably be attached to each other the very fact that you never spoke of her and that she never spoke of you convince me of it she said that is an infallible sign i see silence is the great test well i can talk of her now and i feel as if i could talk of nothing else but i must not be egotistical for a man to talk of his betrothed is almost as bad as to talk of himself he bores his friends just as much had you a good run lady sophia detestable a hard ringing brute that kept us jogging up and down the same lanes for an hour and a half and then went to ground we dug him out i am happy to say i remember an old dog fox in the campagne began captain davis whereupon everybody began to talk at a tremendous rate as if he had opened the floodgates of conversation they all knew that old dog fox and the dismal long story he carried by way of brush and they flung good manners to the winds what about lamington's speech at chester yesterday did you see the times leader upon snooks what a success they seem to have made with the n- new play at the lyceum and in this wise they chopped captain Vavasour's roman fox never again will i mention a fox in that man's hearing said lashmar after dinner in the smoking-room not even ben johnson's valponi nor the great whig statesman his compania's story is intolerable and i believe he would tell it three times a week if we gave him the opening my dear fellow he would tell it every day and twice a day if he could get hearers replied ponsonby and i don't believe he ever hunted in the campagna or anywhere else a little later lashmar saw his male friends amusing themselves in the billiard-rooms while mrs mulciver and the rest of the women were sitting round the drawing-room fire deep in the discussion of the last big scandal in the great world and indulging in as many repetitions of he said and she said as if they had been washerwomen seeing his guests thus content and happy he slipped away and went to his mother's room where he found stella and the dowager sitting opposite each other by that hearth where lady lashmar had sat and brooded in her loneliness last night he drew in his chair between them and they three sat there for an hour talking of the future perfectly happy and at ease and then he bade his mother and his betrothed good-night with a kiss and a benediction for each he looked in at the drawing-room where the very same scandal was still being discussed in tones of deeper solemnity and then he went back to the billiard-room and made believe to have been only absent ten minutes or so how are you fellows getting on he asked what's the score only just begun this is the third game since you went away Vavasour has been licking me horribly i believe he is a professional in disguise in his new and strange happiness so strange to a proud and self-contained nature which for the first time surrenders itself to its twin soul and ceases to dwell apart victorian did not forget the poor pale oracle who by some mysterious faculty had foreshadowed his meeting with his beloved he had found her among the dead whether those scratches upon the hidden slate so utterly unexplainable in their mode and manner of production had but by accident hit upon a kind of prophecy or whether there were indeed some touch of hypernatural power in that very commonplace-looking adept mrs minchin's protege lord lashmore did not take upon himself to determine but in the fulness of his own content he felt a pang of regretful compassion for that fading life of the oracle and her dismal bondage to a hard-task mistress and he wished were it possible to do her some kindness he drove once more to the gloomy old house on thorley Heath, and once more was admitted into the dreary-looking drawing-room where mrs minchin came to him not a word did he say as to the fulfilment of a prophecy he did not want to add fuel to the flame of mrs minchin's lunacy i am leaving lashmar to-morrow he said before i go i should like much to offer some substantial token of my interest in your young friend griselda will you allow her to accept this cheque for a hundred pounds taking a sealed envelope from his breast pocket it may serve as an addition to any little provision which you have made for her in your will i cannot accept it for her and i am sure she would not accept it for herself answered mrs minchin with an Icy air. She is above all considerations of earthly dross. She has no pleasure in the things that please other women. The world outside these walls has no interest for her. May not that be because she has never been allowed to see the outer world or to taste its pleasures? Asked Lashmore. Do not you think it is a hard thing to take a young life like hers and imprison it within four walls to let the young soul beat itself out against prison bars like a bird in a cage her soul has never been fettered replied the old lady fixing him with an eye that glittered like the ancient mariners with an unholy light her soul has soared beyond the boundaries of earth into the infinite of the spirit world would you substitute earthly pleasures playhouses race-courses dances for such joys as she has known she who has held communion with the souls of the mighty dead to whom the voice of socrates is more familiar than any living voice she who has received the confidences of great spirits which have been ripening towards perfection for two thousand years she who has listened to confucius who has absorbed the wisdom of buddha but in the meantime her health has been sapped her physical powers have dwindled remonstrated lashmar she has been dying inch by inch call it not death but promotion every day brings her nearer to her spirit guides they are calling her hourly as her thread of earthly life wears thinner at the link between her soul and the spirit world strengthens her inspirations are more marvellous no lord lashmar she will never need your bounty nor will she need any provision of mine old as i am i shall outlive her if you do it will be murder her death will lie at your door said lashmar indignantly you have no right so to waste a young life for your pleasure for my pleasure echoed mrs Minchin, indignantly it is in the cause of science she has wasted herself as you in your enlightenment would call it she has dedicated herself to the advancement of psychology to the etherealization of humanity to the glorious cause of spirit against flesh she is perfectly happy she has not a wish unfulfilled let me be assured of that mrs minchin let me see her and let me speak to her in your presence if you like i should be relieved to hear from her own lips that she is contented with her fate mrs minchin complied without a word she rang a bell three times and soon after the third ringing griselda entered the room her countenance wore the same expressionless and apathetic look it had worn before she advanced to meet lord Lavchmar and allowed her limp cold hand to lie in his for a moment or so by way of greeting she showed neither surprise nor pleasure at seeing him griselda i want you to accept a little gift from me-a gift of a hundred pounds which you can spend in any way you may fancy said lashmar watching her closely as he spoke to see if she looked to mrs minchin for guidance before replying to discover if she were indeed a free agent but not a sign did she betray her slavery if she were a slave not one ray of cupidity lighted up her waxen features i do not want any money she answered simply but you're not over well i hear a change from this dull house to some pleasant lively place by the sea would do you good pray take this money and spend it for your health and comfort i am sure mrs minchin will allow you to accept my little gift i do not forbid her said the old woman she has other guides than me no i do not want any money answered griselda without the faintest expression of grateful feeling i do not wish to leave this house the spirits come to me here they might forsake me in a strange house but your health is suffering that cannot be helped i've been told how long i have to live and you are contented happy interrogated lashmar yes i am as happy as i can ever be in this world there will be a greater happiness a newer wider life when i'm free like them lashmar felt that argument was vain he could but pity the young fanatic and feel intense disgust for the patroness would worn out that young life for the gratification of her own fancies and theories if ever you have need of a friend outside these walls you have only to write or send to me he said you will not forget lord lashmar lashmar castle then there are two lord lashmars said griselda looking at him fixedly how do you mean there is one in the spirit world do you remember the second message on the slate the day you were here last yes that was signed lashmar you were too excited by the message and you did not look at it long enough to see the signature it was very dim but i was able to read the name Lashmar. guests and host were all gone by the end of the week each to his or her several destinies lashmar to make speeches in the endeavor to enlighten that great mass of the washed and unwashed who were soon to exercise their elective function and to return whig or tory as the tide of popular opinion flowed this way or that he was to come back for a week at christmas and then he was to go away again and appear no more till he came in the season of woodland primroses and budding hedges to claim his bride lady lashmar had stipulated that he should wait six months he was to give himself this much time in which to be sure of himself and his own feelings and he was to give her this much time in which to take her new daughter to her heart i want her to grow to me i want her to be verily as my daughter before you give her the right to call me mother she said and when once there is this bond of love between us neither you nor she shall ever have cause to dread the influence of the proverbial mother-in-law i have no fear of that mother i know how noble you are and that when once you have accepted a position i shall perform the duties of that position yes victorian but in this instance i hope to render something more than duty lashmar was too grateful to rebel he steeped himself in the political vortex and tried to give wings to the days and hours which divided him from the realization of all his hopes lady lashmar had a month of serious illness during her son's absence throughout which stella nursed her with unwearying patience and care and day by day and hour by hour the bond grew closer between them and the proud reserved nature opened its treasure-house of tender feeling ah stella my stella you have given me new hopes and new joys in spite of myself murmured the dowager once in the deep of night when stella had been sitting for hours beside her bed after all love is the one thing needful for us poor mortals in our earthly pilgrimage the one star to guide us through earth's dark labyrinth and in loving one another we learn to love our god who has told us that he is love dear lady lashmar call me mother never again by any colder name dear mother you have filled my life with gladness i never could have been happy with victorian if you had denied me your love lady carmenow had not remained in england to assist at the triumph of an obscure rival she had taken advantage of good-natured mrs Danebrook being not so well to whisk her off to aix les bains as rapidly as if she had been provided with medea's fiery cherry and from aix when the weather grew colder they went on to montreux and from montreux to bellagio and thence to florence and in one of the noblest palaces of that favoured city lady carmenow set up her court and surrounded herself with worshippers and sycophants of the highest quality spending job danebrook's hard-won wealth with a royal lavishness which enchanted everybody from her italian retreat the sultana of the danebrook ironworks held occasional communication with her vassals through her grand vizier the manager of the works whom she regarded as a particularly troublesome officious and pig-headed person with a passion for giving unnecessary and even impertinent advice i make it a rule never to see any notice of anything he says she observed to one of her friends a civil engineer with whom as a practical man she sometimes discussed the prospects of the iron trade but may not his advice be worth taking once in a way suggested this gentleman were it only as the exception which proves the rule oh if i were once to give way to his ideas i should never again be mistress of my own property i believe he is a very worthy person and that he understands the iron trade but he is a horrid radical the very air of brum is infected with revolution in the face of this calm and sweet-tempered obstinacy the manager could do nothing vainly did he write his views upon the necessity of marching in the van rather than in the rear of progress vainly did he inform her ladyship of increasing signs of disaffection and ill-will among her army of workers vainly warn her of the peril of her fortune involved in this question lady carmenow was as obstinate as george the third in his treatment of america and the result was somewhat similar one winter midnight the city of brum was scared by such a conflagration as had not been seen under that murky sky for more than half a century men and women thronged the streets; strangers drove into the city from outlying towns and villages little children were taken out of their beds and lifted up at windows to see the red havoc flaring against the dark of night every steeple and chimney shaft stood up out of the mass of roofs like a pillar of flame luminous with the reflection of yonder fire the great Danebrook ironworks and all their dependencies model dwelling-houses clerks offices storehouses stables were burning and no power of fire-engines which from or the neighborhood could muster could in any wise avail against the might of that gigantic conflagration the fire had broken out in a dozen different places almost simultaneously no one could doubt that there had been deliberate and elaborately plotted arson and the traces of that crime were found afterwards in several directions while it was also discovered that one of the conspirators just a little less ruthless than his fellows had sent an anonymous scrawl to the head stable-keeper warning him to get his horses out of the way soon after dark that evening this message the stable-keeper had brooded over for hours and had obeyed only just in time to save his stud of magnificent cart-horses from perishing in the flames the loss to lady carmenow was computed at nearly a million mr danebrook had been his own insurer the only policies upon the whole establishment were those small policies which insured the furniture of the operatives and which job danebrook had always insisted upon paying the premiums himself and deducting the amount from wages happily there were no lives lost it was supposed afterwards that a signal of some kind had been sent round from house to house at half past ten o'clock and that all were on the alert ready to make their escape before the moment of danger deliberately audaciously as the work of destruction had been carried out the conspirators were never brought to book there was a prolonged inquiry and the police did their best but among nearly fifteen hundred disaffected workmen It was not an easy matter to bring the crime home to individuals seven men were arrested on suspicion and a mass of evidence was brought together conversations held in public houses and club rooms were repeated in detail circumstantial evidence as to the purchase of paraffin and other combustibles was sifted and re-sifted a hundred and fifteen witnesses were examined and cross examined the men were remanded and again remanded till newspaper readers began to tire of the great danebrook arson case and the result was nil so the great danebrook ironworks came to an end like a tale that is told lady carmenow decisively refused to rebuild or to hear anything more about iron if i could be grateful to those wretches for anything it would be for this fire she said with her grand air it is such a comfort to think that i am no longer in trade and that i shall never again have my carriage blocked by a hideous procession of grimy waggons with my name painted upon them victorian and stella were married in easter week it was an early easter the season of primroses and hedgerow violets and wood anemones such self-sown flowers seemed most in harmony with such a wedding an union of hearts that had grown to each other unawares overstepping all bounds of rank and circumstance never was there a quieter wedding seldom a prettier one according to the few spectators who were all rapturous about it afterwards stella was given away by her future mother-in-law who had all the imperial grace of a portrait of sir joshua reynolds clad in white samite anglis in a large white velvet mantle bordered with white fox and a white velvet bonnet with ostrich feathers the tall thin figure silvery hair and marie antoinette countenance were wondrously set off by that white velvet and fur it was said that the dowager was a more interesting figure than the bride although she looked lovely in her simple white cashmere gown and fox fur jacket and little white toque dressed ready to start on her honeymoon journey to the land of don quixote where lashmar was to take her in search of a grandfather and a pedigree he had shown her the copies of her mother's letters and they had planned this spanish journey together he was to take her to all the fairest spots in that romantic land all scenes richest in historical associations and cities rich in treasures of art and it was only as it were en passant that they were to hunt for the traces of her parentage they were saved all trouble upon this score for within a fortnight of their marriage lashmar received a spanish letter addressed to his town house and forwarded to him on his travels It was from a lawyer in madrid who wrote to inquire whether the lady whom he had married was jonathan boldwood's daughter by his marriage with a spanish lady or whether she was the offspring of a prior or a subsequent marriage if she were indeed the sole offspring of jonathan boldwood's marriage with a young spanish lady whom he carried off from madrid and was supposed to have married at st martin's in the fields london in august eighteen sixty something the said daughter was sole heiress to don xavier merchant who had lately died intestate and who had left papers relating to his daughter's elopement and letters written to him by her in the care of the writer his legal adviser lashmar answered the letter in person taking his bride with him the spaniard was an elderly man and remembered stella's mother there is no doubt as to your lady's parentage he said she carries the proof of it in her face but there will be legal formalities to be gone through before she can enter into possession of her inheritance which is in various forms of investment partly in vineyards and other landed property and partly in stocks and shares the formalities which appeared to be necessary to complete the identification of the inheritrix lasted nearly six months and at the end of that time stella became possessed of about fifteen thousand pounds variously invested it is more than enough to renovate that old barrack in grosvenor square said lashmar who was eager to see his young wife take her place in society and to buy an annuity for dear mr verner so that he may feel quite independent added stella gabriel verner had been brought back to his old rooms in the castle since stella's marriage and reinstated in his post of librarian with power to add from time to time to that magnificent collection of old books which had made lashmar castle famous lady lashmar's novel was published anonymously a few weeks after her marriage and more than justified the opinion of the publisher's reader and the admiration of that still finer critic mr nestorius it was the book of the season a book which a great many people read and which everybody talked about those who had only read the reviews talking loudest the freshness of the style with its passionate flow and youthful vigour was curiously contrasted by touches of archaic learning which set the critics wondering about the writer before the book had been out a month there were plenty of people ready to affirm that it was written by mr nestorius and some even went so far as to produce circumstantial evidence and proof of that authorship firstly the book was produced by mr nestorius's publisher secondly it had leaked out that the proofs had been sent to mr nestorius thirdly nobody less accomplished of less all-round cleverness could have written such a book there was however a small section of the reading public chiefly women who knew by a fine instinct that this story of passionate unrequited love could have been written only by a woman since only to woman is love the one thing needful End of Chapter Twenty Two. End of uh, one thing needful by Mary Elizabeth Braddon.